Good morning, Central Illinois. Welcome to another edition of The Car Guy on PeoriaLife.com. My name is Greg McCoy, and I'm here with Brett Beachler. How are you doing, Brett? Good morning, Greg. I'm doing fantastic. Yourself? I'm doing great. Uh, Brett is the VP at uh, Beachler's Vehicle Care and Repair on the corner of University and War Memorial in Peoria. Mm-hmm. Today we're going to talk about vehicle maintenance. Uh, it's a topic which I think a lot of people probably don't think about too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, they like to get in their car and just turn the key and go. Uh, which is probably a mistake, and uh, at least in the long term. And so yes. I guess we're going to talk about that. So yes, Brett, we will. what are some of the main points that you would like to emphasize with respect to vehicle maintenance? Okay, so what I like to do in these um, these presentations is I, I like to take our industry and flip it inside out so people know exactly the good and the not so good that we do. There's not so good? There's not so good, hmm. and I explain that quite frankly. So one of the things that I always encourage people to do is we get enormous amount, an enormous amount of questions that come in our door to say, hey, do I need to do this? Do I need to do that? So I always say the, the Bible of your vehicle is your owner's manual in terms of what you're supposed to do and what you don't need to do. You mean a car, car comes with an owner's manual? Yes, it comes with an owner's manual. You're supposed to read it? <laughs> Have I ever read my owner's manual of my two vehicles? No, <laughs> I haven't. Most people don't, so don't feel bad. So any good shop... Uh, we'll lay this stuff out for you in terms of what your owner's manual says. So one of the things that I always encourage people to look out for is what they call churned maintenance schedules on vehicles. So what a company will do is a car will come in and they develop their own 30,000 mile service, for example, on cars. So comes in the door, they say, well, we think you should change these fluids and this spark plug and these filters. They have their own preference for what needs to be done. This is the repair shop. Yes. So if you get a, I'm going to pick on a couple models. So if you get a a Chevy Impala, 2008 Chevy Impala, 2009 Chevy Impala, they'll do the same thing for a 2008 Impala as they will for a, you know, 2010 Toyota Camry. Completely the incorrect thing to do because each of those cars has a pretty smart engineer that puts these schedules together because the engineers go into this and they say, okay, what does this car need to have done in order for this consumer to keep this car as long as they can to build our brand up for these cars to last a long time? And then the next time they go to buy the car, another car, they go, wow, that car lasts me a long time. I think I'm going to go get another one. So there, there's not a vested interest on manufacturer's part to make cars last 100,000 miles and then they fall apart. It's Plan, just planned it's, obsolescence. Exactly. It, it's just not a true statement. I know some people think that. I've heard that out in the in the automotive community. They are in business to do like all of us, be in the business for the long term. And what do you do? You build a quality product that's going to last a long time. And the next time that consumer wants to go purchase a vehicle, they think you're the primary one they want to go to. So key number one, watch out for churn schedules. Watch out for a company that says, yeah, you're 30,000 miles the same as all the other cars that come in here. That's not the case, okay? I had a car come in. It was been a couple of years, and the customer was buying the car. They brought in their Carfax report. We did a pre-purchase inspection on the vehicle, and I said, if you don't mind, can I review this Carfax report? And I, he said, absolutely. So I went through this report. I compiled all this maintenance that was done on this car. I compiled what was supposed to be done on the car, and in the end, the the guy that he was purchasing it from spent over $600 in repair or maintenance that was not needed. $625 was the exact number to where either this company wasn't paying attention to what they did or they had their own what they call churn maintenance schedules. So I took that 
that little tool, that little learning example, and I spread it throughout my organization. I spread it throughout our customer base. I teach this on car care clinics because this kind of stuff happens all the time. It's either sloppy record, record keeping or people have their own philosophies in terms of what they should be doing to cars to make them last longer. And I teach people left and right this information to help people be aware of what goes on in the industry. Now, are all shops bad? Absolutely not. I know a ton of reputable shops in our industry. I know most everybody by first name in, in our community. Um, I know how they work. I know the, the good and the bad. I'm sure we've got some, you know, we're not perfect. We've got humans driving our organizations. We make mistakes. It's all in how you, you know, pick yourself up and, and relay back to the customer with the mistakes. Um, but I, I really, really want people to wrap their heads around if you ever have a question in terms of what your car needs and doesn't need, simply open your owner's manual. There's a there's actually a guide that tells you what to do at certain mileage intervals on your car. And if it deviates from what your shop's telling you, run, go somewhere else because they're going to have their own philosophy on what to do. Now, is that going to be like a chart kind of a format? Is it the back of the owner's manual, the front? I mean, is it only one place? Uh, every vehicle is different. Some, of, some vehicles have their own book separate from the owner's manual that tells you the maintenance schedule. Um, but the charts are very readable. Uh, it, I mean, if you ever have questions, I mean, we're happy to do it. Any, any reputable shop, we do it on every car. We don't look in owner's manuals. We have um, online programs that we look at that tap into the manufacturer, and we just grab it from them, and it presents it to wow. us in a very readable format for us to explain to the customer what needs to be done on the car. Just one more way that the Internet has changed everything. Huh? It's dramatically changed everything. I don't know how we'd live without it. I, I just I couldn't go back to paper. So then uh, – I suppose one advantage of a person finding a shop, whether it's Beachler's or mm -hmm. some other shop or their reputable shop, and, and sticking with that shop for the whole life of a car is your shop would record in, in your computer system someplace Yes, uh, everything that you do to that vehicle, schedule maintenance like oil changes and such, as well as repairs. Yes. And then down the road, if they want to sell that car or when they want to sell that car, you can print out. A complete list of everything that's been done in that car. Is that mm -hmm. correct? Yes. I actually had a customer come in yesterday, and he's selling a car to somebody that Mike Sable knows. Um, he's selling a car to a person, and he came in and said, can I get my printout? I said, Boop, printed this out, went over to him, and he goes, the guy who he's selling it to knows us very well. And he said, hey, Beachler's took care of this car. I know they've got good reputation. He had all the maintenance right there in front of him, all the maintenance and repairs. So he knew what he was getting into is my point. So a lot of the apprehension in the used car world is world is that people don't know exactly what they're getting into in terms of somebody else's problems. And it's completely viable option to buy a used car all of the time, as long as you know what you're getting into and as long as you do a good pre-purchase inspection on the car, um, the car generally should last you a long period of time. Cars are made so much better today than they were 20, 30 years ago. It's just crazy how different it is. So one of the other points is, Every vehicle's got an option of severe or normal service intervals on their on their factory specified maintenance. So just for the record, everybody knows in the Midwest it's normal. Severe is high mountainous areas, Alaska, heavy cold, a lot of heat down in Phoenix. That's considered severe, but we are absolutely hands down we're in the normal climate of the country to where you don't have to do severe schedules the point being the point behind that is severe schedules are more aggressive you may change your oil here every five or six thousand miles but you go to an arizona or an alaska you change it every three thousand miles so that's an, a, a for example of what you do on cars so don't follow the severe 
unless you're out hot riding your car and racing it every time you get in your car, most people can stick to the normal uh, schedules on those. So, um, but back to your point, good records save you dollars. Um, we often get people that bring their records in from other locations because they've been servicing it elsewhere and they decide to come patronize us. We'll start going through their paperwork and we start pointing out where, hey, this car needs a transmission flush every 100,000 miles and you did it at 60 and you did it again at 90 and you did it again at, you know, 110. Pay attention to your, you know, your intervals because some places don't do that. They just, hey, you need it. You know, the book says you need it. They don't say, they don't do a research project and go, okay, when did you last do it? So if you keep good records, ultimately it's going to save you dollars. So it's going to, you know, prevent any an un- unnecessary work from being performed uh, on the vehicle. So, mm-hmm. and and that's an advantage of, of patronizing a shop like yours that does a wide variety of stuff, right? Rather than just an oil change. Absolutely. And and I don't want to be cutting down the quick change places, but I mean that's one of the negative things of, of going there is that's all they do. Yeah, if you're if you if you don't want to keep good records on your vehicle, if you want, let me let me flip it back the other way. If you want to keep good records on your vehicle, you can do that. You can go to a quick oil change place or go to the dealership or go to Beachlers. You can you can do what we call shop bounce. That's okay. But if you're like most people, most people don't keep good records and I, I'm not picking on them. I, I promise you I'm not picking on them. Most people don't keep good records because in their brain they think, well, everybody's computerized. Why would I need to do that? Um, which computerization is great, but the bottom line is if this shop did a 100,000-mile service on it and you take it to this shop at 110, this shop doesn't know the other one did the 100,000-mile service and you don't remember that, then you're going to be spending money that you don't need to spend, which essentially adds pennies to, you know, cost per mile to operating your vehicle. So... Um, couple other highlights. I like talking about these things because these are a lot of questions that we infer into the business. So we like to explain and educate back. So battery life, you should expect about three to six years tops out of batteries. Generally speaking, you you shouldn't get more than that. Um, Batteries are not made to last 10 years. Um, Plus they do a tremendous amount of work every time you go start the vehicle. Um, there's an awful lot of horsepower it takes. I'm, I use that term loosely to start a vehicle. There's a lot of energy it takes to start an engine every time you get inside of a car. And the battery and the starter are the workhorse behind that. Now, you can test a battery. When somebody brings a car into your shop, mm-hmm. you can test it to see how long it's got left or how much strength it has. Well, essentially, when you test a battery at a shop like ours or a dealership or whoever's doing what they call the, the, the snapshot test, it literally is a snapshot of the battery of that day. It's not a predicting factor. It doesn't say, oh, this battery is going to last you another six months, replace it in six months. Um, the technology is not there at all to be able to do something like that. It is a quick test of the battery to see how it's doing that day, and results come out, and it'll tell you if it's a weak battery, and then we can you know, encourage people to buy a battery, but uh, for the most part, they're a snapshot of that day. They don't, they're not a future predictor. So uh, fuel filter. Typically, cars anymore, you're changing them anywhere, anywhere between 30,000 to 100,000 miles if it's serviceable. Now, what's going on in the industry is many fuel filters are actually going inside the fuel tank. So I know this sounds kind of masochistic, but you don't replace a fuel filter until the fuel pump fails because it's not, it's not cost beneficial to take a, a fuel tank out of a vehicle to extract a fuel filter to put a new one in and put it all back. It's just not worth the labor, basically. Essentially, what you do is you just replace it when the fuel pump fails. 
Uh, now, the, why did they put that inside the fuel tank? You know, I don't. I <laughs> Are don't. They sadists or what? I don't know what the scientific uh, reason is behind it. I'm sure they had a cost reason behind it. But what's amazing, though, with that said, you know, we used to replace fuel pumps probably on an average of two, three, four a week in cars. I bet we don't get two to three to four a year anymore on vehicles. They're made so well, fuel pumps. You know, you it used to be you're replacing them every 100, 150,000 miles, but they're easily going over 200,000 miles in cars anymore. So, again, you know, we asked the question why they put the fuel pump inside the tank. I always back it up and go, well, we don't hardly ever replace them anymore. So, you know, the older vehicles, you get vehicles in the 90s and the 2000s, um, you, there's still a purpose behind replacing the fuel filter. So what I always relate it to people on as a fuel filter, it's like having a restricted artery inside your heart. And the more that becomes restricted with more stuff and debris that it's filtering out before it gets to the injectors, the much harder it is for that fuel pump to push that same amount of fuel up into the engine. So once that fuel filter becomes 100% restricted, it takes out a $500 fuel pump. So the purpose behind that is, hey, if your owner's manual says to change, change that fuel filter every 30,000 miles, just do it. It's a $50 replacement versus a $500 fuel pump. Hands down, it's, it's, it's the best maintenance money you can spend in terms of prolonging the life of a, a component inside your car. So, but again, I always, I always, you know, educate people, fuel filters are kind of going away. That's just the way it's going. There are very few new cars anymore that have fuel filters that are accessible that we can change for 50 bucks labor and the, and the part itself. So, um, but if your owner's manual says to do it, just do it. It's well worth the money. So next component cabin air filter. This came on in the industry about 15 plus years ago. Uh, the purpose, why they did this cabin air filter essentially is debris was getting down inside of the dashboard. You, you couldn't see it with your naked eye down into a component called an evaporator core. Okay. The evaporator core is about a thousand dollar piece of equipment. You have to remove most cars. You have to remove the dashboard in order to gain access to that evaporator core. So we were seeing an awful lot of evaporator cores that were going faulty because debris would get from outside down inside the evaporator core. It would it lodge down in the evaporator core. It produce a you know uh, an area of the part of the evaporator core that would just fail and give way. It's kind of like a little radiator is what it was. Um, it's for the air conditioning system, the evaporator core. So it's got gas running through it. Once that gas starts leaking out, you don't have air conditioning anymore. Um, you got to replace a component in order to get AC back. Most people don't don't not like to have AC around here. Double negative. Um, so what the manufacturer did is they put a cabin air filter system inside the car, so it filtrates all that debris before it gets into the evaporator core. Okay, that's great, but you've got to change that filter. It's exactly like your furnace filter at home. It's the exact same concept. Most manufacturers want to replace every fifteen to thirty thousand miles. We think fifteen is a little aggressive. Um, we go, we are on the side of the 30,000 miles, unless somebody's parking outside beneath a tree, um, and it's producing a lot of debris off the tree and it's getting down inside there and it's restricting that, uh, cabin air filter from allowing air to go through it. So generally speaking around here, you can go 30,000 miles on cabin air filter changes. Next one, wipers. Did you know the biggest enemy of wipers? What do you think it is? Salt? 
It's that big ball of fire in the in the sky. The biggest uh-huh. enemy of wipers is sun. Really? Sun and rubber don't get along. Hmm. So if you've got a car that parks outside all the time, expect to get six, maybe 12 months out of wipers. If That's you, it? Yep. Wow. If you park it in the garage, you'll get one to two years out of wipers. So, you know, one of the things I always tell people to look at is, you know, look at the ends of the wipers. If they're starting to fray and the rubber's starting to come apart from the, the metal wiper frame, it's time to change them. They'll be, they'll be soon be gone for this life. Wipers, generally speaking, are relatively inexpensive, and it's the main thing that clears off the, the, the snow and the, the rain off your windshield. Yeah, so, that, that's really frustrating to be, to be going down the road yeah. in a rainstorm or a snowstorm and your windshields aren't one, are not clearing yeah. it off. That's really bad. Very frustrating. Very frustrating. So typically, we always tell folks, on average, you get about a year out of wipers. Most people get about a year out of them. Um, antifreeze, the coolant that's inside your car. You know, it used to be way back in the day you were changing every year coolant. They stretched that to two years. Now they're up to five years, 150,000 miles, sometimes 100,000 miles in cars. The whole reason behind changing coolant is coolant has an anti-corrosion chemical inside of it that its purpose is to make sure the coolant doesn't corrode, henceforth its name. That anti-corrosion element inside that coolant starts breaking down over time or mileage, whichever comes first. So most manufacturers say give it either five years or 100 to 150,000 miles and go ahead and change that. Because what you don't want happening is that fluid breaking down and suddenly it starts taking out radiators, which are about $500, sometimes $600, and taking out heater cores, which are kind of inside the dashboard. It's like a little mini radiator that produces a heat for you inside the cabin of the vehicle. Um, You don't want those items failing because you didn't change the coolant. So there's a purpose behind it. Now, there's very, very few manufacturers out there that don't recommend changing uh, coolant. They're not domestic. They're not an Asian um, manufacturer, but they are out there. But I would I would consider over 90% of the manufacturers want their coolant changed on a certain interval. Check your owner's manual for that. So that's the purpose behind changing coolant. Now, transmission fluid. Um, many manufacturers go with mileage intervals. Um, there are a few out there that go with inspection intervals, like a, you know, a lot of uh, uh, Asian Guys like uh, Toyota, uh, Nissan go with, hey, if it starts becoming dark, change it. They don't necessarily give you a mileage interval, but most vehicles are 100,000 miles, give or take. Um, but check your owner's manual for that. The purpose behind that, that, that transmission is about a $3,000 piece of equipment. A fluid change is anywhere between $60 to $180. It all depends upon what type of fluid and how much you're taking out and what uh, uh, procedure you're using to remove that fluid. So I, I think that price alone, three to $4,000 for a transmission to me is encouragement to keep the fluid fresh, clean, and change it according to your owner's manual. So now they talk about a transmission flush. What is that as opposed to just changing the oil? So the yeah, that's a good question because I blew right over that and I consider people should know that. But a transmission drain, which you see on some uh, Asian vehicles is literally where they, you pull the plug um, you drain out about four plus quarts of transmission fluid. You put four quarts of synthetic fluid back in, in the vehicle. Your, your job then is to go drive the vehicle, run it through all the gears, bring it back in, check the level, make sure everything's okay. A transmission flush is where they actually connect a flushing unit to the transmission itself, to the cooling lines. And you're, you're doing what they call an exchange. So you're, at the same time you're putting in the 16, give or take, quarts of transmission fluid, you're taking out the 16 old. So the, the flush is more ben- beneficial because what happens in the drain and fills is there's a component inside the transmission called what they call a torque converter. 
and the torque converter houses about seven to nine to 10 quarts of fluid up inside the torque converter. Well, that doesn't drain out when you do a drain and fill. Okay. So when you do a transmission exchange, you're getting everything out of the torque converter, the pan, everything out of the transmission, you're putting 16 brand new back in. Um, transmissions are pretty complex pieces of devices. Well, interestingly, we don't even work on transmissions. We outsource it to another company that specifically, they specialize in transmissions only. That's all he does. Uh, is work on transmissions, work on them, repair them, and replace them. Hmm. So, so you don't do flushes or drains? We, or? we do flushes. We do drains. We do what the manufacturer tells us to do, whether it's, you know, and some vehicles are not set up to do transmission flushes, uh, but many Asian vehicles require just drain and fills is what they call them. Drain fills, test drive, and come back in and check the, the levels. So, uh, but most most domestic cars want fluid flushed out. They want everything out all the old out and all the new back in. And before you do that procedure, typically you put a what they call a conditioner in there that kind of shakes up the inside in, in layman's terms. There's more scientific ways of putting that, but um, uh, it basically gets all the residual stuff you don't want in there all shaken up, and then when they come in to flush it, they take all the old out and put the new in. So very so, beneficial. So the owner of an Asian vehicle that does not call for a flush, should they be concerned about that? Uh, not necessarily. Uh, we have had some folks that request flushes, um, on their Asian vehicle, but, and there are some Asian vehicles out there that do require flushes, uh, but most of them require drain and fills. But we go back to the engineers are the ones that put these things together. I've, I see very few transmission failures of people that follow their owner's manual and what they do. And very few. I mean, I, I can probably count them on one finger or one hand in terms of how many I've seen fail. So, you know, people that are preserving and taking care of their vehicle, they're just going to last them a long time, and they're not going to have these big checks they have to write for big component failures in their cars. So, anyway, um, there's a couple other things I'd like to talk about in this uh, in this session. We're talking about warranties on vehicles. We get all the time people ask us about warranties. Um, there's a couple different aspects to it. Parts warranties are one thing that we address often. Any good shop is a minimum 12 months, 12,000 miles. Any good shop. If they're buying any good quality parts out there, they, they should be able to have a warranty minimum of 12 months, 12,000 miles. Um, reputable shops, I've seen them go, we're two, 24,000 miles. I've seen them go three, 36,000 miles. Be very leery of the shops that say you've got a lifetime warranty on the part. Okay. That is a, it's a marketing strategy to get people back in the door. And then what they do is they turn around and say you have a brake pad that fails. Um, sure, they'll replace the brake pad, but they're going to charge you labor. They're going to charge you for every nut and bolt that goes back on the car. In the end, you're going to end up spending more money with them. So just be cautious of lifetime warranties on parts um, because there's a, there's a philosophy behind that and why they want, you, want to get you back in the door. Parts don't last a lifetime. It's plain and simple. They wear out just like we wear out, parts wear out, and just pay for them accordingly when they do wear out and don't rely on somebody else's marketing strategy to get you back in the door. So um, the other aspect I want to talk about was extended warranties on vehicles. This is a, this is a whole dovetail into um, a different world of extended warranties. I can't tell you how many times I've had customers come in. We do a pre-purchase inspection on the car. We go through it. Hey, it looks like a great car. And they, they stop me and they say, Hey Brett, I got an opportunity to buy an, an extended warranty on this car. And I said, Hey, Mr. Jones, don't do it. Save your money. Put it in a fund over to the side. Typically, extended warranties are $1,000 to $1,500. 
and they creatively put it in your car payment so you don't really notice that $1,500. And the other key number to all this, here's, here's the key number that cuts through all the malarkey involved with this. I, I read consumer reports and I, I love it. So for every $1,000 that a person puts in to a warranty, you guess how much money they get back? Think you're going to win on this? Mm-hmm. Seven, $700. Mm. So would I like to develop a company that has a 30% return on investment? Absolutely. That'd be fantastic. So my point to customers is not to humiliate them. It's not to make fun of the company supplying the warranty because they're they're essentially selling peace of mind. But in the end, you're better off putting your $1,000 in repairs and maintenance on your car then you are to go out and buy a warranty that you're going to lose $300 on. Almost a guarantee every time. I can count on my one hand the amount of people that have come into my door have had extended warranties and have come out ahead of the game. They generally don't come out ahead of the game. So I always, always encourage folks, I always you know educate folks, do, do yourself a favor, save your money, put it in whatever account you want to put it in your your car fund account whatever you want to do put it in your college you know your child's college fund account but don't purchase the extended warranty and here's one of the reasons behind why i tell people not to do them cars are so much more reliable than they used to be five and ten and fifteen and twenty and thirty years ago than they ever been in the history of cars people can pick fun pick pick at them all they want but the bottom line is cars are extremely reliable pieces of equipment okay so what these companies are banking on is for these cars not to break down. And that's essentially what they're doing. You get a very few lemons out there anymore that these companies go, oh gosh, we can't insure these cars because they're likely to have a transmission failure that we're going to have to pay for. They do their homework. They do the numbers. They know everything that goes into it. They know all the calculations. They know every car out there that has issues over a period of time. So it's my long way of t- explaining to you and trying to get you to go, don't purchase those. Don't purchase the $1,000 or $1,200 extended warranties. Those are completely different than the factory warranty because all new cars come with a factory warranty. They know their cars are reliable. They can stamp a 100,000-mile warranty on their transmission because they know the probability of the end game that it's not going to fail. It's not going to fail, especially if people are preserving their cars and taking care of them. So Mm -hmm. any Mm -hmm. questions on that? Well, speaking of warranties, um, kind of a different slant on that, but when a person buys a new car, a lot of people have the impression that as long as that car is under its standard warranty, 3,000 or three years, 30,000 miles, whatever, 5,000, whatever it is, uh, that they have to go back to the dealer for any maintenance issues. Is that correct, incorrect? That is 100% incorrect. That person can actually turn around, change their own oil, document the date and the mileage that preserves their factory warranty, period. Don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. I've got customers that come in that have got 2015s or brand new cars. They prefer our service over others, and that's okay. But I always reinforce, you do not have to go back to the dealer. And I, I like the dealers. I mean, I, I know a lot of them personally. They're great guys. But when you switch to the tactic of you've got to come see us to preserve the warranty, it's not a true statement at all. Um uh, you, you, you can go wherever you want. You can go to any independent, you can go to a quick lube shop, you can go anywhere you want. And that warranty is preserved, especially of the fact that you keep records and keep good, um, you know, critical information on the car in terms of what you've done and what you haven't done. What about recalls? Uh, recalls. Yeah. You, they seem to be on the rise lately. Um, 
that's a whole different show uh, that we can go into it. I mean, definitely address the recalls, but just when you go into your 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 dealership, they can only be administered through a dealership. Okay, so recall cannot go through Beachlers. They cannot go through Beachlers. They can't go through any other, you know, lube place, anything like that. They have to go through the dealership. But what I always encourage folks to do, take advantage of it. You know, if you got a recall on a certain component on your vehicle, address it, but go on there and allow them to address it and then get out. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. I, I keep it at that. Yeah. Uh, one point I wanted to make is, as we've been talking about all these maintenance items, there's mm-hmm. all kinds of things that fall into that category. And as we mentioned in our previous show, you have written a book. Yes. That kind of summarizes a lot of these aspects. Uh, could you just take 30 seconds to tell us about that? Okay. So the purpose behind the book is I had a tremendous amount of people that were asking me about when I'd go out and do my lunch and learns, they'd ask me, how do I get this in print form? I, I need to be able to wrap my head around it in my quiet time. So I started churning. I actually had a friend of mine down in Little Rock, Arkansas. He's got a, a shop down there, and he wrote a book also. So I thought, man, what a great idea. Write a book. All right, it took me nine months to do it because we did it during our construction period of building the second building. Um, but it, it, it tremendous benefit for the person who reads it because they can turn around and know exactly what they need to do on their vehicle in terms of the, the, the what to do, what not to do. I also explain the industry, kind of like I've done the last 28 minutes. I explain the industry, what we do well, what we don't do well. I go into a lot of the details in terms of, uh, of cars. One of the aspects I talk about is what I call wallet flushes, the things you don't need to do to your vehicle that are oversold in the industry. That's a, it's a very sought-after part of the book because people want to know, what should I be doing? Should I be putting nitrogen in my tires? Should I be cleaning my fuel injectors in my car? Should I be doing power steering flushes on my car? I, I want to know this stuff. Um, so I explain that in the book. So if somebody wanted a copy of this book, how do they get it? Uh, two ways. Uh, you can go to Amazon.com. I sell the book for seventeen ninety five for Amazon.com on Amazon.com. Or you can come into my business um, and you can buy it for $10 oh. in the business. So, uh, fantastic deal. I just want, I want people to come in and see the new place. So it's got tremendous benefit, but I think you'll truly enjoy it. It's worth a $10 investment. Great. All right. Well, thanks, Brett. It sounds like we've, uh, taken up our time again for today. So thanks all of you out there for joining us on the car guy on PeoriaLife.com. Brett, thanks again. And we'll see you next week. PeoriaLife.com.